You're listening to Purpose Inspired, a podcast series by myself, Wayne Visser. This season is based on the book, The Quest for Sustainable Business, An Epic Journey in Search of Corporate Responsibility. Plantations and Houses, The Lessons of Shared Responsibility A New CSR Pyramid Travelling to a new country and soaking up the sights and sounds of a different culture gives me a real high. There's something to do with discovering the unexpected, observing the world with senses on high alert and mentally registering similarities or differences. This is how I felt when I visited Guatemala. I'm always inspired by the stories I hear, like that of my Antigua guide, who escaped into exile in the USA at age 12. The aesthetics of a place make a big impression, like the luminous craft markets and the earthquake-crumbled ruins of convents and cathedrals in Antigua. In Guatemala, I felt strangely at home. I put that down to the third-worldliness of the place. It's colourful, jumbled, hustling, diesel-smoking, belching, smiling friendliness. Of course, the uniqueness of the country is also invigorating, especially the traditional dress of the women and the rich Mayan history, which happily still shines through in the people, art and architecture. My CSR Quest tour started in some senses on this trip to Guatemala. The main purpose of the visit was for Dirk Matten and I to launch the A to Z of Corporate Social Responsibility at the Inter-American Development Bank Annual Conference on CSR. That was when the seed of the idea was planted, while Dirk and I were talking over a glass of celebratory champagne in a hotel bar late one night. One of the greatest insights for me had come after visiting a local sugar plantation. They had prepared a presentation on their approach to CSR, and imagine my delight when I saw that they also have a CSR pyramid. The interesting thing, however, was that it was not Archie Carroll's CSR pyramid or C.K. Prahalad and Stuart Hart's bottom of the pyramid. Economic responsibility was still at the base of their pyramid, but the next most important responsibility was to the families of their employees. The third tier was community responsibility, and rather intriguingly, the apex of the pyramid was engagement in responsible national policy development. Was theirs right and others wrong? Of course they were both right. That is the beauty of glocality. It is not an either-or mentality, but a both-and approach. The other interesting observation is that they had formed a cooperative of farms in order to tackle CSR. Individually, they were just too small to justify a sustainable business program, but collectively it made sense. This is one of the ways that small and medium-sized enterprises can address sustainable business through pooling their resources and collaborating. I gained more insights into sustainable business and SMEs when I visited Mexico at the invitation of Jorge Reyes, director of the IDRSE Center at Anahuac University, which is doing some excellent work on the subject. 
I was invited back to deliver the keynote at their international CSR conference and again a few years later to run a workshop. So I got to know a little bit about their research program, which I'll try to summarize briefly here. In response to a government-sponsored program aimed at SME growth acceleration, IDRSE put together an approach for supporting the business's growth through the implementation of sustainable business administration that would develop competitive advantages for the companies. Built into their business training program, therefore, were six elements for SME development, self-regulation, stakeholders, human rights, environment, labor, and social or community impact. Working with the supply chains of big brands like Sony, Coca-Cola and Semex, IDRSC have taken more than 70 SMEs through the program with impressive results. On average across the six sustainable business dimensions, the SMEs improved from a score of 23% to 43% while simultaneously showing average annual sales growth of 30%. Heiligendam Dialogue Process I returned to Mexico City at the invitation of the Heiligendam Dialogue Process, which were meeting to discuss the major challenges in the world economy that had been identified at the Heiligendam Summit, including CSR. If you're wondering what the dialogue process is, you're not alone. I had never heard of it until I got the invite. In fact, it is probably the closest thing we have to a statement of the world's regional superpowers on how sustainable business fits into the bigger picture of global development. Here's how they describe themselves. The leaders of the G8 and the G5 countries, Brazil, China, India, Mexico and South Africa, discussed the major challenges that have arisen in the world economy at the Heiligendam Summit. They recognized the interdependence of their economies and the importance of an active exchange on the framework conditions of a globalized and competitive world. They decided to embark on a high-level structured dialogue on specific challenges, which was subsequently referred to as the Heligendam Dialogue Process. And what does that have to do with sustainable business? Well, one of the four main topics for the dialogue process which is hosted by the OECD, is promoting cross-border investment to our mutual benefit, including the encouragement of responsible business conduct. A more lengthy document on growth and responsibility in the world economy, issued at a G8 summit, makes fascinating reading, not least because, according to the G8, the world outlook at the time was all sunshine and roses, we note, they said, that the world economy is in good condition. This was just before the global financial crisis, how quickly the world can change. Beyond this piece of trivia, there is some interesting and revealing content on sustainable business and broader socio-economic and environmental trends. I find it interesting because this North-South group is at the fulcrum on which the future is being shaped. Below, I have summarized some of the main points from their declaration. In section one on the G8 agenda for global growth and stability, it makes it clear that the developed world's obsession with economic growth as the solution to social and environmental challenges continues. 
What is interesting and different, however, is that there is now more acknowledgement about the importance of stability in financial markets and the distribution of the benefits of globalization. In Section 2 on Systemic Stability and Transparency, this reads like déjà vu and shows that our current financial crisis did not arise from a vacuum or without the knowledge of the superpowers. In relation to global financial markets, especially hedge funds, they refer to potential systemic and operational risks and the need to be vigilant. I guess no one, or at least no one that mattered, was really listening. In Section 3 on Freedom of Investment, this is the familiar free capital flow mantra, acknowledging that supporting protectionism would result in the loss of prosperity. How does this reconcile with the continued protectionism of EU agriculture and US fossil fuels, I wonder? In Section 4, on the social dimension of globalization, the fact that this is even being acknowledged could be construed as progress. The emphasis is on promoting and developing social standards like the ILO Tripartite Declaration, the OEC Guidelines for Multinationals, and the UN Global Compact. In Section 5, Strengthening the Principles of CSR, in addition to adding emphasis and supporting the social standards, there is reference to the voluntary approach of CSR, encouraging the transparency of private companies' performance with respect to CSR and clarification of numerous standards and principles issued in this area. Given that this is the main section on CSR, it is quite weak and disappointing, with a fairly limited conception of CSR. In Section 6, Promoting and Protecting Innovation, there are hints at technology transfer, but it is far more about protecting intellectual property rights, patents, claiming that Trade in pirated and counterfeit goods threatens health, safety and security of consumers worldwide, particularly in poor countries. No guessing which country wrote that section then. In section 7 on climate and energy, this forms the bulk of the paper, focusing on energy security, energy efficiency and climate change. Although there are no revelations, it's quite a good summary of where the world is at on these issues and how it has responded to date. For example, it talks about the global energy security principles, the post-Kyoto deal, deforestation, biodiversity, sustainable buildings, transportation, industry, power generation, and energy diversification. In Section 8, Responsibility for Raw Materials, the focus is on transparency and sustainable growth in the mining sector, mentioning the likes of the Extractive Industries Transparency Initiative, the OECD Risk Awareness Tools for Multinationals in Weak Governance Zones, and the Diamond Development Initiative. Finally, in the Section 9 on Corruption, this is simply a restatement of the commitment referring to existing initiatives like the UN Convention Against Corruption and the OECD Anti-Bribery Convention. If this declaration is anything to go by, at least the growth and globalization debate seems to be getting more sophisticated, implicitly acknowledging that there is such a thing as uneconomic growth and globalization which does not share its benefits fairly. Also that issues like poverty and climate change are critical to long-term economic prosperity. 
My overall impression from the Heiligen Dam dialogue process so far is that the battle to have sustainable business acknowledged as part of the social and environmental suite of solutions has been won, but the war to see CSR as a more holistic, embedded and strategic concept is in danger of being lost. Sharing resources in times of stress. Beyond this SME agenda and the Heiligendam dialogue process, Mexico has many other CSR insights to offer, which are expertly reported by Leonardo Cardenas in the World Guide to CSR. He observes that Mexico has a long tradition of social responsibility, which can be tracked back to before America was discovered, when the indigenous cultures still dominated the region. For example, the Raramori, who still live in the mountains of northern Mexico in the state of Chihuahua, use the expression corima, which means to share. Importantly, corima is not philanthropic in the sense of sharing surplus wealth, but is the practice of sharing resources in times of stress. Cardenas points out that in the middle of the last century, before social security was part of the law in Mexico, one of Mexico's largest and oldest breweries located in Monterrey voluntarily started providing health services to its employees and their families, including access to medicine, dentists, optometrists, and various medical services like x-rays and surgery. Furthermore, they provided their employees and families with sporting, cultural and educational facilities such as libraries and theatres. In the 1980s and 1990s, CSR in Mexico was often in response to crises as several natural disasters hit the country. For example, in 1985, a large earthquake hit Mexico City. More than 10,000 people were killed and more than 30,000 injured. In response, hundreds of construction companies provided equipment and labor to help remove debris and rescue trapped people. Privately owned uh, hospitals also opened their doors to anyone in need. Similarly, in 1990, when a flood hit the state of Chihuahua and hundreds of families lost all their material possessions, industry owners agreed to be charged with a special tax for one year to help repair damaged areas and provide new shelter for those families. This scheme was so successful that industry leaders asked for the tax to become permanent and managed by an independent trust fund. This gave birth to the Federation of the Chihuahua Industry, an NGO supported by more than 38,000 industries that make voluntary annual contributions. One thing I learned from my visits was that Mexico is one of the 10 richest countries in terms of biodiversity in the world. According to Achim Steiner, executive director of UNEP, Mexico is at the crossroads of a green economy, politically, physically and practically. It still has many challenges, from high air pollution in cities and dependence on fossil fuels, to land degradation and the need to fight poverty. But Mexico is also emerging as among a group of developing economies who are bringing much-needed leadership to the new, comprehensive and decisive climate treaties. How CEMEX empowers the poor. 
Another inspiration from Mexico is the case study of Semex, which has been expertly summarized by the consultancy Article 13. They note that the Mexican-based construction materials company has grown substantially since it began operations in 1906. Semex now operates in more than 50 countries and has trade relationships with over 100. Even though Semex's geographic reach provides it with a sizable potential customer base, the company has remained committed to growing its home market through development of the Patrimonio Hoy housing project. Concerned over high levels of homelessness in Mexico, affecting up to 20 million people, Semex set out to help Mexican families obtain this basic human right. By doing so, it has been able to align its values and commercial objectives with the needs of communities. For example, Semex sent a team into the low-income community of Mela, Colorado, home to some 90,000 people. It was here that the team spent 18 months getting an appreciation for the barriers preventing families from obtaining their own home. Typically, low-income families build their own homes, working on them in a little spare time that they have. This is made more difficult as they often have little experience in construction, leading to lower quality, inefficient dwellings and placing them at the mercy of retailers who exploit their lack of knowledge. The project uses simple but innovative financing to help provide access to building materials and advice. Families group together to self-finance the projects and commit to save for 10 weeks. To encourage high repayment rates, all members must make their weekly contribution, otherwise all parties lose access to the program. Materials are provided during the second phase once the group has demonstrated a commitment to their savings. In addition to the materials, Semex also provides warehousing facilities, access to its network of certified distributors and technical advice, including architectural advice tailored to their needs. The social capital of the community is considered collateral enough and a 99% repayment rate would indicate that this is indeed the case. The program has provided homes at 70% of the former cost and at less than a third of the usual time. It develops competencies and promotes a sense of independence and family unity. In an unexpected outcome, it has also contributed to economic development by fostering small businesses. More than 15% of families who have built a spare room use it to run a small business. Article 13 concludes that so far the program has helped more than 165 low-income families and is expected to expand to 2 million families throughout Mexico. In addition, the program has already spread to Colombia, Venezuela, Nicaragua and Costa Rica, showing that it is possible to grow a business and encourage community development at the same time.